Well, happy Sunday morning to you folks. Uh, We thank you for joining us online today. We made the decision on Friday that with the weather looking like it was and uh, also the increase in COVID cases in the church that going online for today would probably be the wisest decision. So thank you for joining us in this format. And I know that some of you uh, have heard that I also am uh, COVID positive, as is Connie. Uh, Don't fear, you can't catch it through the screen that you're watching, as you well know. And uh, I'm actually feeling pretty well. I took two different tests just to make sure it was not a false positive. And both of them indicate that I am indeed COVID positive. And uh, I can also assure you there is no one within about 200 feet of me uh, currently. So we're taking precautions and we'll also wipe down surfaces here. So um, again, just thank you for being with us today. Continue to pray for the Norton family, Pat Norton, Pat and Christy, especially as they have... uh, As Pat has lost two daughters uh, within the last month, Uh, her family is just going through uh, such a deep valley right now. So keep them in your prayers. Debbie's service was this past Friday. Uh, So just continue to lift them up in prayer. Uh, Let's go to the Lord and turn this service over to Him. Father, we're so grateful to be able to meet in this format In years past, we would simply have to cancel church, but we're grateful that we can move it online. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today uh, as we turn to your word. Your word is inspired by your Holy Spirit, and it is inerrant, infallible, and it tells us what we need To know in order to be saved and then once being saved how we are to live as we wait upon the return of your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be found faithful. I pray that 2022 that each of us would renew our faith. We would draw close to you and renew our first love as Jesus told uh, the church at Ephesus there in Revelation 2. God, we do pray for this service that you would use it for your purposes Uh, Lord, I pray for the Norton family and others in our church who are hurting and those who are lonely and those going through sickness. We pray for your touch upon each person. Lord, you know what the Nortons need. They need your comfort, uh, the comfort that only you can bring. And I pray that you would administer that uh, to Pat and Christy and to the other members of the family. And these in our church who are sick, God, we pray that you would strengthen them, uh, bring wellness back to their bodies. Uh, Lord, I pray that this week our eyes would be open and our ears attentive to those around us who have needs. And Lord, that we would say, here am I, Lord, send me. That we would be vessels in your hand. Lord, we're the clay, you're the potter. And we just pray that you would mold us according to your will. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'd like to ask you to find Proverbs chapter 3 in your copy of the scripture. You know, I've heard uh, several people recently uh, quoting this passage as they talk about a new year and how to live and resolutions and how God's people uh, ought to trust God and follow God. And so I want to bring a message on Proverbs 3 this morning entitled, A Biblical Prescription for 2022. And I'm going to ask you to maybe just stand right there uh, in the privacy of your home for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Scripture says, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. For they will bring you many days a full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing from your, for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Today I want to talk to you about a biblical prescription for living in 2022. Uh, here's a list of top New Year's resolutions that repeatedly show up on various lists of top things people say they want to recommit to. Number one, spend more time with family and friends. Number two, get fit. Number three, tame the bulge. Number four, quit smoking. Number five, enjoy life more. Number six, quit drinking. I hope there's not good Baptist included in this survey because anyway, you know what I'm saying. Uh, number seven, get out of debt. Number eight, learn something new. Number nine, help others. And number 10, get organized. I also found a list of five things specifically for 2022 people are saying they would like to do. Uh, number five, practice a random act of kindness for strangers every day. Number four, find a cause you care about and discover ways to take action. Number three, write letters or send cards to people who feel alone. Number two, Make time to learn. Learn something new. Number one, express gratitude. That's a list of five things uh, in light of COVID people are now saying they want to uh, carve out special energy and time to make sure they do those five. There's some good ones on both of those lists that I gave you. But you know, I did notice one shortcoming in both of those lists. <clears throat> At least what I hope Christians would see as a shortcoming. There was nothing on either list about God. And about a renewed commitment to following Christ. I hope that would be something on your list and my list. You know, I read a survey according to uh, Franklin Covey that said that uh, 33% say that they'll not keep New Year's resolutions past the end of the month. And 75% say they will not keep them by the end of March. Well, again, any resolution involving following Christ, it would be my prayer that we would keep that resolution. Uh, today we're going to look some into the, the book of wisdom in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, and see what it has to say about living better. Now, by the way, some people have made it a practice of 
adding one chapter of Proverbs to their daily Bible reading plan. And so, for example, let's say today you're reading Genesis chapters 12 to 15. You would simply add one chapter of Proverbs in addition to Genesis 12 to 15. And what many people do, since there's 31 uh, Proverbs, they will take their calendar out and whatever day it is, uh, for example, the 16th, uh, today they would read the 16th proverb, in, again, in addition to their other Bible reading. What we see from this passage is the way to, to wise living, to abundant living. You see, in the Bible, true wisdom means living properly, having the right kind of conduct. You know, in the world today, we see a disconnect between intellect and conduct oftentimes. But in the Bible, there is no disconnect because wisdom in the head and the heart is supposed to translate into the feet and the hands and the tongue if it's true wisdom from God. The book of Proverbs is a great place to turn for wisdom and success uh, in today's world. Success in God's eyes. Now, in places, Solomon, at, at this point in the book of Proverbs, is addressing his son, and he wants his son to have a successful life. He wants him to live wisely. He wants his son to avoid some of the mistakes that he himself has made in life. And that seems to be what this chapter is all about. And so it's the experience of someone older and wiser to someone younger. It's a dad advising his son in how to live a better life than the dad himself has lived. Now, I want to point out four things here in chapter 3. Four great lessons that we are to even memorize and, and also put into practice in our lives. Number one, we are to obey God. He says, my son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days a full life and well-being. Now, I want you to notice something about uh, the four things that this chapter, that this portion of the chapter will mention. Each of the commands I'm giving you and each of the verses that we will be looking at is in the form of a two-verse couplet. Uh, there's a principle stated and then a promise if we carry out that principle. And so God tells us what to do and how to do it and then he gives us his promise if we obey. Now, let me say something at this point about promises. It, it has uh, been generally noted that in the book of Proverbs, what we have are general promises of what we can expect instead of infallible promises. And let me explain what I mean by that, and I'll give you an example. Uh, we're told in the book of Proverbs, for instance, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. People will sometimes say something like, Pastor, my wife and I were always faithful with our children to train them up in the ways of the Lord, both in our home and at church. And one of the kids that we have, let's say one out of the three, currently wants absolutely nothing to do with God. So, Pastor, what about this promise? Well, I would say three things to that. First, God isn't finished with your child yet. Keep praying. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. And secondly, I would say, keep in mind, Proverbs is wisdom literature in the Bible that states how things generally are. It's generally true that kids raised in the things of the Lord will come back around to that training at some point. And third, I would say, we might even have a translation issue here or an interpretation issue. Some scholars uh, tell us that 
train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he'll not depart from it it is not to be interpreted generally the way we think of it and they would tell us that the verse actually means is that God has made each child in a particular way a particular bent there's something that God wants that child to do. And so train up that child in keeping with how God has designed that child. In, in other words, if your child has a love for math and is absolutely great at it and is terrible at English and hates English, well, let's say you love English and you're trying to make an English literature professor out of this child, it's probably not going to happen. And if you try that, that child's probably going to be very unhappy because that child loves maths. And so what this proverb is saying, according to some scholars, is parents observe the way that God has wired your child together, the way your child is made in the image of God, and, and cooperate with that and train up that child to do that. And that child will delight to do what God has wired him or her to do. But however you interpret that particular proverb, keep in mind that wisdom literature states general rules and guidelines. Instead of pointing out the one exception, look to see all of the occurrences of how generally it has played out and, and come true. Now look again at the command here. He says, do not forget my teaching. Remember from chapter 1, this is Solomon instructing his son. He's instructing his son in the way of the Lord. And that's what a good father does. He prepares his children for life. And there's many great things that a father's going to want to make sure he teaches his child. Now, no doubt, along with what we find in the book of Proverbs, Solomon taught his son the overall word of God, the portion of the canon of Scripture that Solomon had at the time was part of Solomon's teaching. His teaching was not just the wisdom of man, in other words, but he was pointing out to his son wisdom from God. Folks, that's what we get in God's Word, wisdom from God. We are to remember God's law. We're not to neglect it. I want you to think about a couple of images here, an anchor and a rudder. The Word of God is to be the anchor for our lives, holding us steady in place, and it's to be the rudder of our lives, giving us direction. And you know, that reminds me of what Paul says in the New Testament, writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. There in the book of 2 Timothy. He says, Timothy, there in chapter 3, while men in the world are waxing worse and worse, Timothy, you are to stay true to the Word of God. It's to be your anchor and your rudder. Because it gives you wisdom, first of all, that leads to salvation in Christ. And then once being saved, it helps you to be discipled so you can follow Christ and serve Christ. I think also of Psalm chapter 1. The, the person who meditates in God's word, as Psalm 1 is describing it, will be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. I want you to think about Psalm 1 being uh, written or spoken in a desert climate. A tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. That's how the person will be who is grounded in the Word of God. And not only knows it in his head and heart but practices it in his life. The child who obeys the teaching of his parents and the teaching in Scripture will generally turn out to have a much better life. Again, you may know of a rare exception, but generally we know this proverb is true. Maybe this, this past year, 
There are many things in God's Word that, that you ignored or you didn't give yourself to fully and, and maybe you suffered some consequences. So resolve this year that with God's help, you're going to do better. One way that instantly comes to my mind would have to do with your spiritual gift. Each one of us who names the name of Christ, uh, we are given at least one spiritual gift to use for the good of the body of Christ. Maybe you've not been doing that. So resolve that you're going to uh, restart that area in your life. You're going to recommit to it. And whatever spiritual gift God has given to you, you're going to use that in 2022 for the building up of the bride of Christ, the church. Uh, he also talks about related to this point, the way to obey. He says, let your heart keep my commands. In, in other words, we are to treasure God's word in our hearts. We're to apply it in our lives. These are issues that begin in the heart. From your heart, learn to love God's words and commands. You know, the Bible says that, that God's commands are not burdensome. If they are a burden to you, it's a sure sign that you need to ask God to renew your heart. Obey from the heart. You don't want to have to twist your kids' arms to do something. If you know something is good for them, you want them to do it from the heart. And that's how our obedience to God is to be. If your aim is... Uh, it is to fully obey God and do what he says, then pray that you'll have this love from the heart. If your arm has to be twisted, then, then there's some kind of problem that you need to address in your spiritual life. You won't really start obeying the word of God until you cherish it. You know, Jesus said a wise man is a man who hears his word and acts on it and puts it into practice. He's compared to a person who is a very careful builder. He clears the land, he digs down, establishes a good foundation, and only after he does that does he proceed with building. At every stage of the building project, he is being very careful to do it right. Well, folks, you and I are to be wise builders. If we will cherish his word and hide it in our hearts and obey it, Look at the promise that he gives in verse 2. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Again, I remind you, Proverbs consists of sayings that are principles. He's not saying that everyone who keeps God's word and the instruction of a godly father is going to have a long life. Because that would obviously mean that no one who is godly would ever die young. And we certainly know that's not the case. I can't promise you that if you read God's word and treasure it, everything's always going to go your way. Because remember, we live in a fallen world. God's plan of redemption is not complete yet. It won't be complete until the consummation. But again, generally speaking, it is true. It works the way that the writer of Proverbs is saying. But regardless of how we live, it will add peace to our lives. How much do we listen to our Heavenly Father's instruction? How much do we read it? Do we pay more attention to God's Word than to our social media accounts? I hope so. Diligent attention to the Word of God will bring great blessing. To your life. If you don't believe me, try it. Because you're going to find that even in the midst of trials, if you're grounded in God's Word, His Word is going to give you great peace and comfort and stability in your life. Well, let's move on. A second command. We're to love God. He says in verses 3 and 4, Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. 
He points out, first of all, love, love God by clinging to mercy and truth. Uh, the CSB translation says, never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. But I want to tell you what the Hebrew words are here. The Hebrew words are mercy and truth. Let's think about them one at a time. Think about mercy. It's the Hebrew word for love or faithfulness or steadfastness. It's felt by some scholars to be one of the richest Hebrew words that you can find in the Old Testament. In fact, it's such a rich word, there's not a single English word that can, that can capture its full meaning. And so you'll find love, steadfast love, kindness, mercy. You'll find all of those words being used in translations to try to capture this one Hebrew word. But he says, never let this leave you. Now, if we were to translate it as love, remember that Jesus said the greatest commandment in the word of God is to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it also has to do with showing mercy. And remember Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Now the second word here is truth. He says, never let mercy and truth leave you. Folks, God is a God of truth. I think in the book of Jude, Jude and verse 3, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude verse 3, he says that uh, we are to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And then Paul writing to the Corinthians in that great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, says I want to pass on to you the gospel that... that that what I've been preaching, what I've heard, that, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day. You see, this is truth that God has revealed to us. We are to cling tightly to God's truth. Let 2022 be a year that you cling to love and mercy and truth. It's all of those, love and mercy and truth. You know, some people, uh, they, they, they love truth, but there's little mercy or love. And some people love mercy and love, but there's just a little concern for truth. It shouldn't be either or. I remember when Jesus spoke to the woman in John 8 caught in adultery. He said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. You see, it was both mercy and love and truth. He forgave her, but likewise, he commanded her to turn away from a life of sin. Those are the characteristics that you and I are to have. We are to love mercy, mercy and love, and we are to love truth. We're to love God by being consistently faithful to him. The idea of faithfulness is also tied up in verses 3 and 4 here. Some of you need to say today, God help me to be more consistent in 2022 in my faithfulness to you. You know, there's a lot of what I call fireworks Christians. They sort of explode for a while, pop off, and, and there's a lot of beautiful excitement and faithfulness for a while. But then there's nothing but a puff of smoke. Uh, left. Folks, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life isn't some emotional spasm. We're not to be like a Roman candle. The Christian life is also not a sprint. It's a marathon. The Christian life is to grow and mature by walking daily in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is to be a life of faithfulness. So be faithful in the basic Christian disciplines, things like reading your Bible, praying, going to church and encouraging your fellow man there at church and worshiping God and then telling other people in your circles of influence about Jesus. All of those are just very basic elements in the Christian life. We know that. We've learned these things from the time we became a Christian. We just need to do them faithfully. 
He says concerning these matters, these matters of truth and mercy and love and faithfulness, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. You know, writing back then was a luxury because people, everybody didn't have paper and pens like we do today. And writing back then, if you had those luxuries, writing was more of a permanent thing. And so he's saying that a steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness is to be permanent in your life again some of us need to be more consistent in these areas we're sort of on again off again notice his promise in verse 4 he says then you will find favor and high regard with God and people again a general truth you will have favor with God and man Everybody, as a general rule, respects a consistent and sincere Christian. They may not always agree with you on everything, but if they see that you're not a hypocrite, at least they're going to respect you. And they're going to admire the walk with Christ that you have. The world needs to see a consistency in us. You know, a lukewarm Christian is never going to impact his or her world for Jesus Christ. Go back sometime this week and read Hebrews 11. Uh, in Hebrews 11, the writer is telling us about all those great saints of old that we read about in the Old Testament. Every single one of those men and women, they were sold out to God. They had a faith that cost them dearly. Folks, they are the cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 12 says we have as we run our race now. What stands out with these men and women in Hebrews 11 is their faithfulness. Their faithfulness to truth. Their faithfulness to God and God's call in their life. Folks, we will, we will never ever go back to what people uh, say the church in America uh, once was. What you are you know, people talk about the church today and what it needs to be and what it needs to accomplish. And maybe they're reminded of what the church, how it seems stronger in, in other days. will never be what we need to be regardless of how much or how little you compare yourselves to how the church in America is now to how it was then. Uh, either way, we're never going to be what we need to be unless we bind truth and mercy and love and faithfulness around our necks you know when Jesus addressed the Christians at Ephesus in Revelation 2 he said to them you've lost your first love and he he counseled them he said return and do the things that you did at first could he be telling you that this morning return you've lost your first love you need to bind love and mercy and truth and faithfulness around your neck again. These are things that need to characterize your life. Your prayer this morning needs to be, oh God, help me. Help me to be renewed this year. And that those things would be characteristic of my life again in the coming year. A third word he says here is trust God. Verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. You know, trust is something you and I are already great at. Every morning we get up, we go out, we put a key in the ignition of our car, we crank it, and we, we have faith that the car is going to crank. Or we get on an airplane and we have faith that we're, we have trust that we're going to arrive safely. And so you see, trust is something that's already very much part of our daily life. God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to trust Him so that we will live wisely. He says, trust in the Lord. You see, it, it's not simply a choice to trust because I've already pointed out that we do that every day in our lives. But it's a matter of 
where we are to put our trust. As Christians, we are to put our trust in God. We're to trust Him. How are we to trust Him? He says, with all of your heart. In other words, we're not to live double lives. You know, don't say, well, at church, I'm going, to portray, I'm going to portray or give off the image that I trust Him. But you know, out in real life, Monday through Saturday, in my job and things like that, I can't trust Him. People would run over me. Or I'll trust Him to help me prepare my Sunday school lesson, but I can't trust Him with my family budget. No, we're, we're, to, we're to trust Him with all of our heart, in all of our ways. You know, last week we saw a great example of this with Matt and Darian. Matt had a flourishing career, but he knows God's calling him to the ministry. So he and Darian are packing up their entire family and they're moving to seminary. Folks, that's trusting God. They're striking out into the unknown trusting God, following Him. We've got other young people in our church doing the very same thing. I think of Katie and Brandon. Here they are in dangerous places in the world through the IMB. They're serving God. They're trusting God out in the unknown. They're trusting Him with all of their heart. They're great examples to you and I. In the scripture, I think of Abraham there in Genesis 12. God called him to leave behind his father's household and land and go to a new land that God was going to show him. And, and Abraham obeyed God. He trusted God with all of his heart. You know, folks, it's funny how people will divide up their lives between the sacred and secular. And they'll say, you know, when it comes to sacred things, I'll trust God. But in everyday secular matters, then, then I've got to do things my way. But the Bible says in all of your life, all of your life is to be an act of worship before a holy God. And you know, that's what impressed Paul so much about Timothy. I mentioned that a moment ago. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 that as he looked at Timothy's life, he was impressed by this sincere, genuine faith that Timothy had. Also, the writer of Proverbs says here that we're not to lean upon our own understanding. Think about Abraham again in Genesis 22 when God told him to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham might have thought, wait a minute, Isaac is the son of promise. How can I put the son of promise to death and yet believe all of these promises that you've given me, God? I mean, if that's the way he was reasoning it in his own mind, that's what he would have been thinking. But Abraham didn't lean upon his own understanding. He trusted God. Folks, don't get me wrong. God gives us our reasoning abilities. Nowhere does God tell us to check our minds at the door. The Christian faith is a reasonable faith. We are to love God with our minds. But when we know that God is telling us to do something that we can't quite figure out with our own reasoning, we need to trust Him. In Isaiah 55, God reminds us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. We also need to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. Verses 6 to 8 goes on to say, all of our ways are to be subject to the Lord's approval. All of your ways. Think about that. He's not talking about most of your life. All of your life. And look at verse 6. The promise. All of your ways. In all your ways. Know him or acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. He's saying if we, if we lean on him and trust him, trust him with all of our hearts, lean on him and not our own understanding, he's going to direct our paths. It's like King David said in the 23rd Psalm, you will lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. If we put all of our trust 
in God. And lean not on our own understanding. God is saying he's putting his reputation at stake. He will lead us. Folks, we can trust God because of who he is. You know, that's what Jesus was getting at in John 14 when he told his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. He went on to say, believe in God, believe also in me. He was inviting them, in other words, to place the same kind of trust in him that they would place in God. They could do that because he's God the Son and he's the Good Shepherd. Listen to me, folks. We don't ever have to be scared or worried about following God. God is sovereign, but God is also good. The sovereign God that we worship is never going to lead his children astray. He may not give you an easy assignment in life. He may not give you easy circumstances in life. But he is a good God and he knows what he's doing. And we can trust him. You know, it's better to be in the will of God in something hard for you to endure than to be out of the will of God in disobedience. Look at verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see, he's saying, don't act like you've got it all figured out. When things don't make sense, don't try to come up with your own ways thinking that you're smarter than God because you're not. You need to fear God. And verse 8 is another great promise. This will be healing for your body and strengthening to your bones. If you disobey God with your life, you might end up A broken and beaten old man. Scripture says in Galatians 6, 7, God will not be mocked. You and I need to remember that. We might end up going our own way and end up far worse, far worse off than we ever imagined. A last command here, honor God. Verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. You know, having just come through Christmas, we don't focus much on Joseph. But I want you to think about Joseph a minute. How much he honored God. Here was a man who finds out that his fiancée is pregnant. And he knows he hasn't been intimate with her. What would he be thinking? You know what he's thinking. But when the angel appears to him and tells him what's going on, Joseph could have still shied away from all of the negative stigma and gossip that he would have no doubt incurred along with Mary. But you know what? Joseph honored God's commands and he took Mary to be his wife. The Bible says we are to honor God with our lives. Proverbs 3.9 gives us a very visible, tangible test about honoring God. Honor the Lord with your possessions. You know, it's, it's one thing to talk about honoring God. But how about putting something to the test with something like our possessions that can be measured? He says, honor the Lord from your possessions, from the first of your produce. Remember, they were an agricultural culture. Their agriculture was their wealth. What he goes on to talk about here is committing the first of your earnings to God. And look at Proverbs 3.10. He says, then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. You know, the problem with us is oftentimes the way we give. We sit down, we write out our bills, and if anything is left over, we may give a portion of that to God. We'll give the leftovers. That's not living very wisely at all. This verse tells us that we are to give God out of the first fruits. In other words, God is to get the number one priority. And that means that if there's not enough to go around, then there's something wrong that we need to do. Some changes we need to make with the 90% that God allows us to keep. 
It's sad oftentimes to look at people who think, if I have time and nothing else comes up, I'll be in church. If there's time, I'll serve. If there's something left out of my resources, I'll give. Folks, all of that is completely backward. It's upside down thinking for, for the Christian. That's how a lost man thinks. He says that we are to honor the Lord with our possessions and with the first. The first. Make time to worship God and serve Him and give to Him. It's the Lord's day. All of that's to be first. And then if there's something left over after that, then you can use it the way you want. But remember, you're even to be a good steward with your 90%. Don't squander that away either. Honor God in your giving. The giving of your strength, the giving of your service, the giving of your worship, the giving of all of your belongings. With all of that, honor God with it. And give Him of the first and of the best. In closing, I want to point out, you know, God wants us to know Him. He wants us to live by His Word. He wants to make something beautiful out of a life that could very possibly otherwise be a train wreck. Don't mess up your life with disobedience to God. And don't blame God if you've chosen to go your own way. Make a decision this morning to delight yourself in Him. Commit yourself to Him. Obey Him, love Him, trust Him, and honor Him. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. Just how basic it is. And I do pray that it would be an anchor and a rudder for our lives. These are words to live by. Lord, help us not to simply commit these verses to memory, as wonderful as that is, but help us to live them out in our everyday lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.